before uh, we open our Bibles and read uh, the text for uh, uh, this evening's sermon, uh, please bow our heads and come uh, before the Lord in prayer. O great God of heavens, we confess our utter dependence upon you. Our Bibles are opened and we can try to read it, to understand it, to obey it, but we confess that without your help, without the help of your Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Oh Lord, please open our minds to understand your word. Open our hearts to see the beauty of your word, to make us willing to obey your word, but first and foremost, to cling in faith to Christ. O oh Lord, please show us the beauty of our Savior. Show us from this text His majesty, His power, His love, and also the strength of His humble attitude. We come before you and pray in His glorious name. O oh, hear us, O oh Lord our Father. Amen. <clears throat> I will read a small section from the book of Acts. And as I heard that uh, your pastor also preaches through the book of Acts, so I'm very uh, thrilled to hear that. But we will go a bit uh, forward. I mean, uh, we are at chapter 12. And I will read <laughs> six verses, uh, the closing six verses of uh, chapter 12, verses 20 to 25. Now Herod was angry <clears throat> with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breaded his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Amen. Pride. That's a word that comes to my mind and perhaps to your mind as we read this passage, the pride of Herod. The pride, if we start to pronounce this word and think about this word, it might sound harmless. You might be proud of your children, the achievements of your grandchildren, 
the things you did at your workplace, or maybe even you can be proud of your sports team. In these cases, we use the word pride to describe a certain joy over what we have or whom we belong to. And if we <coughs> think on how our world uses the word pride, it seems that our world is preoccupied with this kind of positive meaning, with this harmless meaning, with this good meaning. But in the Bible's usage, pride is not harmless. The scripture, the scripture speaks about pride almost exclusively in a negative sense. In the Bible, pride is not just a positive emotion, but pride is when your joy becomes self-centered. When you compare yourself with others. So interestingly, in the Hebrew language, the pride is often described with words of height. To be proud means, means to think ourselves as being higher than uh, others. To think about ourselves as we are superior to others. And even more importantly, pride wants to rob God uh, of his due, of his glory. Because in its essence, pride is man-centered, self-centered, and not God-centered. And this pride is not harmless. It's harmful. That's what we see in our text today. So the death of Herod shows us four things. First, it portrays the progress of pride. How pride progressed in the life of Herod. Then it shows us the problem of pride. How God deals with pride. Thankfully. Our text speaks about more. It also tells us about a preference to pride. What is the biblical alternative to pride? And so it teaches us how to protest against pride. So that's what we want to cover in this evening uh, sermon. And as an introduction, you see that Herod is on display. And you need to know that in the Bible, there are four Herods. There is Herod the Great, you know, the evil king who killed the babies when Jesus was born. Then we read about the second Herod, Herod the Tetrarch, who killed John the Baptist. We read then, thirdly, about this Herod, Herod Agrippa I, who killed James, the brother of John. And then we read in the closing chapters of Acts about Herod Agrippa II, the son of this Herod, who, interestingly, didn't kill anybody. But here, we have a serious Herod, who was true to his uh, family heritage. And <coughs> interesting that this Herod was brought up with two Roman emperors. This Herod enjoyed the favor of Rome, and so this Herod was made king over the province of Judea. But as we read in the closing verse, this Herod had an issue, had a strife, had a problem with two cities, two important cities, with Tyre and Sidon. And in this situation, we see how the king's pride progressed. 
We do not know what was the exact reason for the strife, for the conflict. But what we know is the situation was severe. When we read in our Bibles that Herod was angry, it's a very mild translation. In the Greek, it means he fought with anger. The king fought with anger. What it tells us that, that his pride that, and his anger was severe, was great, was harsh. And that's our starting point. Because so often pride shows itself in strife and anger. Because when your heart delights in yourself, when you are centered around your needs, your dignity, your fame, your benefit, then it will shortly lead to conflict with others. And it is exactly the proud spirit that will not seek solution and reconciliation. If you study the book of Proverbs, you will see that. Because the book of Proverbs, Proverbs always connects the end of strife with a gentle spirit and a humble word. Think, for example, of Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And what we see that Herod was not of a gentle spirit. In fact, what we read that, his, that this strife, this conflict with Tyre and Sidon uh, advanced to a state of non-communication. The king was not willing to speak with the leaders of Tyre and Sidon. We read that the leaders of the two cities needed to persuade Blastus, the king's chamberlain, to act as a mediator between them and the king because the king was not willing to see them. The king was not willing to listen to them. The king was not willing to reconcile with them. And that was a problem for Tyre and Sidon. Why? Our text uh, tells us. Because their country depended on the king's country for food. So that was the problem of Tyre and Sidon. But this text not only speaks about the, the problem of the cities, it also speaks about the problem of the king's heart. Because what we see now, that the pride of the king was not diminished, but increased, advanced, progressed. Because there is an even greater pride in refusing to talk. And sadly, you and I, we might know this. Perhaps as a husband, or a wife, or a child, or a parent, you used this tactic in the past. You were not willing to hear the other party. You were not willing to examine yourself. You were not willing to acknowledge your fault. So you continued in, a, in your hardness of heart to the point that you stopped talking to your loved ones. Because you were harmed, you were not willing to give, give away your anger, this whole situation progressed to a state of non-communication. And do you see the progress of pride in that? The humble spirit and the gentle mouth seek unity and reconciliation. The proud heart and the harsh mouth delight in punishing the other. Pride brings destruction. Pride brings destruction wherever it goes. But then suddenly something has changed. And we are struck. Because it seems that the king is willing to forgive. That the king is willing to reconcile. What happened? 
as we, as, uh, as we read, the leaders of the cities persuaded Blastus. He acted as a mediator. And now the king is ready to forgive to the two cities. But the simple pardon was not enough. There is a famous first century historian, Josephus Flavius, and he records uh, in more detail this, uh, this story uh, for us. And he tells us that the king wanted this reconciliation to happen in a festival gathering, in an official festival gathering. Herod organized a festival for the honor of the emperor. And so he collected all noble families and wealthy families uh, from the land and the province together in a theater. And you see, this is another portrayal of the, of the king's proud heart. What can satisfy pride? More pride. You know, in that regard, pride is so uh, similar to money and uh, being rich. You might remember Rockefeller's famous answer when, an inter when a reporter asked him that how much money is enough? And Rockefeller answered, just a little more. So is with pride, just a little more. Why was the king willing to, re, uh, to be reconciled? Because this, op this gave him an opportunity to be even more proud, to get even more praise, and that's what he wanted. The whole details of this festival, the shining robe, the lofty speech, the numerous crowd served one purpose, to impress the people so that Herod can get his praise. If you listen to Josephus, that's how he tells us the story. On the second day of the shows, Herod put on a garment <coughs> made wholly of silver and of a contexture truly wonderful. And he came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment, being illuminated by the fresh reflections of the sun rays upon it, shone out after a surprising manner, and was so brilliant as to spread a horror over those that looked upon him. And presently, his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, that he was a god. And they added, Oh, be merciful to us, for although we have until now revered you only as a man, yet from now on we will praise you as superior to mortal nature. So it seems that Herod gained what he wanted. He got all the praise. He was revered as a god. But that leads to our second question. What's God's view on that? And you know, at this point, I'm, I'm always fascinated. I'm always fascinated and reminded of C.S. Lewis' words when he said that our problem as sinners is that we are far too easily pleased. We are far too, far too easily pleased. The crowd saw a magnificent robe, heard a lofty speech, and was ready to call the king a god. This is a rather low view of God isn't it? But it was not just the sin of the people 
also the sin of the king and mainly the sin of the king. Even Josephus tells us that the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. So as we read in verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. But while what the Bible uh, doesn't tell us that his death was not instant. Josephus tells us that the king was taken back immediately uh, to his palace, but he suffer, suffered there for five days, for, for five more days, and died in pains unimaginable. So Herod's glory turned to shame, his splendor to ashes. And we might be horrified. Awful is the severity of God's judgment. Astonishing is the speed of the judgment. Horrible is the mode of the judgment. Maybe the judgment was too harsh, too severe. But brothers, it was not. Pride is that serious in God's eyes. Pride is the great sin because it steals from God what is his due, the praise. This story tells us how highly God regards his glory and how angry he is with anybody who steals it. But you might say, I'm not Herod. Of course you are not. Neither you nor me will ever stand in front of a crowd which will praise us as gods. Of course, that will not happen. But the story is not just about glory-seeking rulers. It is written for all of us who might be guilty in that sin of pride. We may say that not only the extent of Herod's sin, but mainly the nature of Herod's sin that deserve God's judgment. And then we may ask, what is Herod's sin then? And the Bible tells us, verse 23, because he did not give God the glory. You see, Herod's problem was twofold. First, he sought his own glory. He was content with himself. He looked for the praise of man. But secondly, he also robbed God and didn't exalt him who is greater than all. So you are guilty of pride, and I am guilty of pride, whenever we put ourselves in the center, whenever we do not give God the thanks and the praise. The problem is not that people say nice things about you. The problem is not that you, you know that you made some excellent work. The problem is when we forget that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. The problem is when we forget that we are but creatures and our triune God is the King of kings and Lord of lords to whom belongs every glory. The problem is when we do not want to bow down before our God, when we do not want to submit ourselves to His will, when we forget that God is above all and we are the servants of His glory. We are the ones who live for His glory. So we cannot have this glory for ourselves. So that's the problem of pride. And we see how it caused the death of Herod. But if you listen carefully, this text is not just about the demise of Herod. 
not just about the fall of Herod, but in the closing two verses, it speaks about another tower. And it's a very interesting way to end this chapter. Maybe if it were uh, an us, we would close the chapter with verse 23. But no, our text goes on and says that the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with him John, whose other name was Mark. And I find it fascinating because we see how pride brought death. But here we read about life. We, we see how pride uh, resulted in death. But the word of God resulted in life and growth. And it shows us that even in this context, there is another power at work. There is an alternative to pride. And in this regard, this section, this story, is a tale of two kings. And you saw one king. You saw Herod. But there is another king in this story. And I would like to present him to you. I would like to present him to you by pla uh, placing him side by side to Herod. Here, I see a king crowned with gold. There, another crowned with thorns. Here, I see a king in a majestic robe. There, I see a king stripped of his clothes. Here, I see a king cheered by the crowd. There I see a king hated aloud. Here I hear saying the voice of a God and not of a man. There, crucify him. Away with them. Here I see a man seeking his own glory. There more than a man wailing his eternal glory. Here I see a man living for his own gain. There a lamb dying for me in pain. Here I see a king dying in shame, there a servant rising in fame. Here I see Herod, a passing, passing earthly king, there I see Jesus, my eternal heavenly king. You see, there is no better alternative to King Herod's pride than the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. Herod portrays the tragedy of the fallen man seeking his own glory and not giving praise to God, whereas Jesus portrays the beauty of God's grace, that he, the living glory, the prince of glory, came to this earth as a servant, as a lamb to slay. By his voluntary condescendence, he gave his life for us, proud people. The cost of our pride was laid upon him, and he paid it fully, and he reamed us from our self-seeking life. The alternative of pride is that humility that is found on the bosom of Christ. So you must choose. You can either take Herod's path and live a life of self-centeredness, and you read death and judgment, or you follow Jesus, take up his cross, and live a life that glorifies him and God. Oh, that's the alternative to pride. But what does it mean to our daily lives 
What is the solution to pride? And if I, would if I want to give you categories, I would like to give three broad categories to you. Because this text kind of compels us to think about how we think, how we speak, and how we act. How should we then think? You know, when Calvin starts the Institute, he tells us that all the wisdom we possess consists of two parts, the true knowledge of God and the true knowledge of ourselves. And Calvin also saying with that, that in order to have a true knowledge about yourself, you need to have first the true knowledge of God. So when we try to fight with pride, we need to see who God is. We need to live a life that is captivated by the beauty of God's glory and majesty. We need to be aware constantly who God is. We shall look for his glory. And you may ask, how can I do that? And I say, just read your Bible. Just read your Bible, but remember, this Bible is not a 10-step solution for your problems. This Bible is the word of our God. It's his book. It's about his glory and not ours. Yes, whatever text you read every morning or evening, this text will help you to see the glory of our God. Even texts like this, which kind of magnify the, the ugliness of sin, even then you can see how it leads our thoughts to the beauty of God. You can always look for the alternative. You can always look uh, for the biblical alternative of that sin and look for God's glory as you read your, your Bible. But we need also live a life that is captivated, not just by the beauty of God's glory, but by the beauty of our Christ's humility. Marvel not just at the display of God's power, but also how humble, how servant-hearted is our Savior. And think about that uh, in this way. Humility is life-giving. Pride is life-taking. Humility heals. Pride kills. So whenever you see that as you read your Bible, live captivated by the fact that this is our Savior. But then this text also gives us clues how to speak. When we speak, we know that it must mirror our hearts, what's inside. So whenever we want to um, practice a God-glorifying speech, then maybe the first area we can start is with our prayers. Because if we can humble ourselves in the presence of our great God, if we can be humble and God-glorifying in our prayers, perhaps that will be a first step to uh, be thankful at God-glorifying whenever we communicate with other humans. So when you, when you pray, give glory to God. Practice God-glorying prayers. Begin with praise. Whatever you read in your Bible, transform it and bring 
it to God as praise. And also be abundant in, in thanksgiving. We need always to be aware uh, of the manifold uh, gifts of Christ. There's nothing good in our lives that was not touched by the grace of God. There is nothing good we can think, say, or do what we not received. So we, as Reformed people, or Presbyterian people, we are to be men of gratefulness. We are to be men of praise. We are to be men who see, oh, the riches and the beauty of our God. But this text also speaks on how to live and act. And if there is one application from that passage, it's found at the end of this chapter when, when Luke tells us and speaks about the word of God increasing and multiplying in the church. And I think the clue that Luke gives us is that if we want to be if we want to fight against God, if we want to be humble people, then we need always follow Christ in humility. Christ's life was a serf- serving life, not a self-seeking life. So, live a life that is full of ministry and service. Live a life in the church that you are not just listener. You don't want just to be entertained, but you want to be active in God's church. Find your place and ministry in this church and do faithfully what God called you for. So there are two ways to live. You can either look for your own name and glory, or you can live for Christ's name and his glory. And it is my prayer to you, this sense, that you will always live humbly, for Christ's glory. So when the last day comes, you will hear his voice, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the uh, joy of your master. The Christ Jesus, Lamb of God, Lamb of God, We are so pleased to see your beauty in this present text. We are so pleased to see your name and person magnified. We are so pleased to see that you are full of excellencies. And, O Lord, we just saw a short glimpse uh, in your beauty. And so we asked, that, that open our eyes whenever we read the Bible, whenever we listen sermons, whenever we live and work in this world, we'll see your beauty, your grace, your majesty, your power, your truth and love. O oh Lord, We are so often seekers of our own glory. And we confess our sins. We come before you to forgive our sins. And make us humble-hearted people that will be servants. 
Oh, please bless this church with this minded people who will look for not their own wants and needs, but we look for the other needs. And please be magnified and glorified among them in that power that comes only through your word and spirit. Oh, we ask for your spirit's blessing in Christ's name.